preaching a message this morning that has been entitled, Prove Me. I'm not preaching about tithing today. You may think that in the beginning, but I'm preaching about proving God. I'm not preaching about giving. I'm preaching about proving God. In everything, in every way, proving God. I want to read a scripture this morning from Malachi chapter 3. It's the scripture verse that we've put up to uh, emphasize, prove me over these next few Sundays. In Malachi chapter 3, this is beginning with verse 10. I want you to pay close attention. I'm reading this morning from the King James Version. Because it is in the King James that the words are used coming from the mouth of the Lord, inviting us to prove him. When in this verse he says, prove me, says the Lord. So starting at verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all the nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord. The results that he give us, gives us are what will happen when we prove him. If we prove him according to his word, according to his own statement, according that, to that which is recorded as coming from the mouth of God, this is what will happen. I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer, the destroyer, the enemy of your life and your soul, I will rebuke him for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. He'll not destroy your harvest. He'll not take away from you that plenty that God has offered and provided for you. And your vine will not cast or fruit before the time in the field. In other words, the harvest will come to fruition. And that is what the Lord says according to his word. All of that is from prove me, says the Lord. I know he starts out talking about the tithe, and he says to prove him by the tithe. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now here with says the Lord. That's the means, that's the way of proving him. But that's just one thing. The Bible is full of the challenge for us to prove God by faith, to step out on his word, believe what he says, 
and not trust what the natural mind tells us, not trust the headline of the newspaper more than we trust the Word of God recorded in this Holy Bible, not trust any other report given to us, whether it's from a pulpit or whether it's from a, an article in the magazine, not trust that more than we trust what God says, Look at what God says, believe what God says, do what God says, and by that prove Him and receive the abundance of His blessings. But the tithe is a test of giving. I, I want to talk to you just a little bit about the tithe. I know there are a lot of different opinions about it. Make sure that your opinion is not colored by any desire not to do what God wants you to do. It's all right to have an opinion about it, as long as your opinion is based in the right motive. Some people don't believe in the tithe because they don't want to tithe. They don't believe it's New Testament because they don't want to do it. That's not a good enough reason. I'm going to give you the scriptural reason this morning. If you follow me and listen carefully, I believe you'll understand this. You may not agree with it, but you'll understand what I'm saying. First of all, I don't preach that the tithe is a New Testament necessity. I believe that the tithe is the minimum they ought, we ought to do in everything we do in giving to God. I think we ought, our goal ought to be to aspire to give more than 10% of our income to God. And I know some of you are saying, but Pastor, I can't even afford to give 10%. I want to tell you the answer to that. When you say, I can't afford, I can't afford. I'll tell you the answer to that. You can't afford to do it if it doesn't matter what God does for you. But if you are seeking the fullness of God's blessings, you're seeking a full life of what God wants to do for you. You want the blessings of God poured out on you that are beyond your ability or capacity to contain. You want the fullness of God's experience flowing in your life, friend. You can't afford not to give to God. You can afford it if you don't care what happens in your spiritual life. But if you want to walk with God in the closest possible way, you can't afford not to give. I believe that the New Testament practices to give beyond the 10%. And I'll tell you why I believe that. It's not a requirement. It's the teaching of the New Testament. It doesn't say if you don't do this, you're going to hell. It's a teaching of blessing. It's a provision of how to be blessed in the Spirit of God, in the fellowship and the love of God. And that's what we're after. We're after what results from proving God. And we prove God in this way, in the matter of giving, we prove Him by our obedience. I've had people tell me all kinds of things as to why not to give. Well, Pastor, I'm on Social Security. I've already paid that in. Well, maybe you paid on the gross when you were putting Social Security into that so-called account. Maybe you paid it on the gross, and if you did, you did pay tithes on it. But what does it matter? If you've got an income coming in, you ought to give from that income. I'm not talking about tithing now. I'm not trying to get you to give. I'm not raising money. This is not a fundraising sermon. This is a prove-me sermon. This is a way to prove God and receive the best that God has for you. I'm going to join the Apostle Paul and what he expressed in Philippians chapter 4. One of, the, one of the really powerful chapters 
that Paul wrote. And you love Philippians 4.19. If you don't know what it is, you love it anyway. Because when you read it, you just love it. You've got it. Some of you got it posted up on the, the refrigerator. you got it in the front flyleaf of your Bible. And you think that means that's for everybody. I'll come to telling you what it is if you haven't remembered it yet. But the Apostle Paul put that in a great teaching. And I'm going to take you to Philippians chapter 4 to show that to you, if you'll follow me. So, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, this is what Paul said. He said, I'm not talking to you about giving because I desire your gifts. That's not my goal. What I desire, listen carefully now, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. He was saying to the Philippians, with whom he had a long history, all the way back to the time when he and Silas were in the Philippian jail and God performed a miracle and people started getting saved out of revival and had built a great church in Philippi. And now he's writing them again from his prison and telling them about the blessings of God. And he says to them, when I left on my missionary journey, you were the only church that stood with me. You continued to supply my needs. You sent the supply of my needs through others that came from your church and brought them to me. And you were, you were generous. You gave so much. You gave in abundance. And I'm so grateful for it. Read all of this now in these, chapter, these verses right around where I'm talking about Philippians chapter 4, 17, 18, 19, right in there. Just before that, he says, you just did a, you did a marvelous job. I love you for that. Thank you for that. And I'm talking to you now about continuing to give, not because I'm after your gifts. You've been generous. I'm not trying to get you to give more to me. I'm talking to you about giving and telling you how the blessing it is that you gave to support our ministry, that you gave to support the man of God who ministered among you. I'm telling you why you are blessed because of that. And I'm asking you to give more, not so that I will receive more, but so that there will be more credited to your account in the records of God. That's Paul. That's Paul. And I want to have that same motive. I'm not, I'm not judging anybody by how much you give or don't give. You know, and I've said it time and time again here, I don't, with, although as a senior pastor, I have a right to do this, and most pastors do. I could check everybody's giving list if I wanted to. I have no desire to do that. I could not tell you any person in here who's given any certain amount. I don't know whether you've ever given anything or not or whether you give almost all you have. I have no idea. And I don't want to know. Do you know why? Because I want to be able to stand up here and preach to you just like I am right now. I want to preach to every one of you the same way, just like I am right now. I don't know anything about your giving record. But I know God keeps a record of it. And I know that what I'm telling you is the truth. And I know that what I'm telling you is what Carolyn and I practice. When I got ready toward the, the few months before the end of the year, I felt like God was leading me to give a certain amount out of a little account that we had. And I thought, well, wow, that's, 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 that's a little bit too much for us to give. But I thought about it and prayed about it, and God wouldn't leave me alone about it. And so I finally went to Carol and said, would you agree with me on this? She thought about it for a little while, and after a while she came back to me and said, I agree with you about doing that. That's what the Lord's leading you to do. Go ahead and do it. So I did. And, I, and I, when I put it to the Lord, I said, Lord, this is the beginning of my prove me offering. I'm going to practice what I preach to you. I said, this is the beginning of my prove me offering, Lord. Whatever else you lead me to do, I'm going to do it, but right now, 
this is this is this this is large, large for me at least. But for many of you, it might not have mattered at all. It was pretty large for me. So and for Carolyn. So I said, I, I'm I'm going to start this prove me right now. And I started just before the beginning of the year. I put it in last week. And I, so my purpose in telling you this is to say, if we're going to prove God, we've got to step up and do it, friends. We've got to step up and do it. We can't just go on what we've always been doing and say things are just going to get better and better and stronger and stronger. We've got to be faithful in doing what God wants us to do. And a part of that, one part of that, this is not all I'm going to talk about this morning, but one part of that is giving. Now, when the Apostle Paul finished his message to the Philippian church about giving, this is what he said. After you've given so much to support my ministry, you've been so faithful to give. I thank you for it. God bless you for it. I'm not talking to you now about getting more of a gift, he said. I'm talking to you about giving more because I want more to be credited in your account in the records of God. And so, he went on to say, this is the verse we all love so much. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But you can't just take that verse and stick it up on your refrigerator and say, that's my verse. If that's all you're going to do is read it. Whether you read it out loud or read it silently or pray it or whatever, you just can't take that verse to stand alone. When I referred to this a few weeks ago, I told you that the promises of God are with conditions. If you want to prove God, there are things you have to do to prove Him. You have to do what His Word says. And His Word teaches us about giving. Do you know that Jesus said more about money than He said about heaven? Read the four Gospels. You'll find him talking about money a lot more than he talked about heaven. Doesn't mean heaven's not real. Doesn't mean money's more important than heaven. It means he knew how important that is in our lives and how much that is involved in our making our total and absolute commitment to him to prove him for all the blessings that he has promised to provide for us. So, this is a prove me promise. 419 in Philippians. It's a proved me promise. If you do what Paul said in the earlier verses and then come to 419, you have every right to claim what 419 says for you. He'll supply all your needs. He's got riches and glory. Above what's required to meet your need, he'll meet your need according to his word. According to Philippians chapter 4, According to Malachi chapter 3, when you step up and prove God, He will not fail you. I'll talk about the, the, the principle of the tithe just for a minute. And, and, and when I say this, I'm not talking about, I'm not necessarily talking about the 10%. I'm talking about the principle of giving to God. Give what God leads you to give. Give what God directs you to give. Because God can speak to your heart in a very clear way. And he may be telling some of you this morning, remember I've been talking to you about this already? Pastor's telling you just what I've been saying to you right now. This is just confirming you what you've been feeling in your own mind and your own heart. Because it was all right when it was $200 a week. But then when you got that $50,000 inheritance, it was a little bit harder. But you see, God blessed you 
with the abundance. And out of the abundance, you can't stop giving to God. Because if you do, you fail to fulfill the promise. If you give with a little and God blesses you with much, you can't stop giving when much comes in because it seems like you're giving so much more. When you're really not, you're giving out of the abundance that God has provided. That makes sense to you? Made a lot more sense to me until I started getting so much. And when I got so much, kind of like the young man who came to the pastor and said, you know, I've been tithing all this time and God has really blessed me, but my business has just taken off and I'm making so much more now. As much as I've got to come in right now, Pastor, I just want to be honest with you, I can't afford to tithe. And the pastor was just like me. He said, well, I'll just pray that God will take a lot of that away from you where you can't afford it. He decided that he'd rather go the other way and keep on giving. So we've got, we, we can't we can't fail because the blessings of God increase and, and say, oh, God bless me so much I can't afford to give as much as I was giving before. You've got to give, and you've got to, by faith, give more. I know you say, well, he really, he said he wasn't raising money, but I believe he is. Not trying to, trying to tell you the truth of God about proving God. Proving God. And God will honor you. He said he will. That's the proof part. You do what God's told you to do, and God is obligated. Would you like to have God obligated to you? You do what God told you to do, and God is obligated to do for you what he's promised he'll do. For those who are obedient, walking in obedience, when you do that, God's obligated to do for you what he's promised to do for people who are obeying him. And that's where I want to be. I want to be where God's got to do it. I did what he said. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. Let me, let me just go back. I don't want to dwell on this too much, but for people who think that, who, who question the tithe, and I read something on the internet a few days ago, big, bold, red letters on the top of the teaching, the tithe is not New Testament. It's against the New Testament. You know, people in error and all that kind of thing. It doesn't matter if you read anything on the internet. But here's what I found. It's what I believe is true. God instituted giving, and I'll call it a tithe. God instituted significant giving before the law ever existed. When Abraham met Melchizedek on the plains after he had conquered the heathen kings, Melchizedek came, Melchizedek, who, who Abraham didn't know, but recognized as Melchizedek ministered to him that he was a high priest of God. He was the high priest of Salem, or the old Jerusalem. And Abraham, recognizing this man standing with God, decided to give him, decided as God prompted it in his heart, to give him a tenth of all he had gained in the battles that, he had, that, he had, that God had given him victory in. So he gave all that 10% to Melchizedek because he was a high priest of God. If I ever announce I'm going to teach on the ministry of Melchizedek, I hope you'll not fail to hear any one part of this book. It's one of the most fascinating, fascinating studies in the Bible for me and, uh, and, and the prophecy of what it all means. But I can't get into that this morning. I'm just going to tell you that Abraham, Abraham, before the law was given, Abraham, while he was still walking as the direction of God, when God was telling him where to go, where to stop, where to go, where, to, where he was leading him to, in all that time he met Melchizedek, and God led him 
to give him a tithe of all that had come into him. And Abraham obeyed God. And Abraham continued to be blessed, 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 on and on and on, without stopping, without ceasing. Abraham was continuously blessed for the rest of his life. And he continued to do the same thing with the Lord. Give to the Lord, that is. So the principle of the tithe, the principle of giving, and giving generously, was established before the law existed between Abraham and Melchizedek as God's Holy Spirit brought that to life, a great teaching for all of us to know. And so now, Abraham proved God. Abraham followed the Lord, proved him, and God gave him victory, even when he chose the lesser place that looked like a much lesser place than Lot chose, as they divided the land where each one would go, because the herds had increased so much, and they separated. Abraham gave Lot the first choice, and Lot chose what appeared to be the better place. Abraham took what was left, but God blessed him and blessed him and blessed him, and he was much more blessed than Lot. You don't hear anything today about the sons of Lot, but you still hear all about the sons of Abraham all the time. It's going to get better for the sons of Abraham, too, because they're going to have a different approach to Israel. Just add that in for no extra. So how do you prove God? How do you prove God? That's the real question. How do you prove God? We're not talking about trying to put God on the spot. We're not trying to get him into a corner. That isn't the point at all. We're, we're wanting to know how do we come to the place that we receive from God what he has promised we will receive when we prove him. We step up and say, well, God, if you, you said that if I would do this, then you would do this. And so here I am, Lord. I'm going to do what you said. And now that I'm going to do what you said, you are responsible to do what you said you would do as a result of my obeying you and doing what you told me to do. And you will never fail to live up to your responsibility, God. And he never will. You do everything. This is how you prove God. You do everything he has told you to do. And then you wait for God to do what he has said he will do. I read it to you already this morning. The Lord himself said, prove me. Prove me by bringing the offering, by bringing the tithe, by giving. Prove me. And when you do that, I will pour out on you blessings that you don't have the ability or the capacity to contain. In other words, I will overflow you with fullness of grace and mercy and power and blessings and healing and health and prosperity and in everything else. I will overflow you. You will not be able to hold the blessings that I pour out on you when you fully and completely obey me, is what the Lord said. And you can believe that or not believe it, but I didn't make it up. I read it to you right out of the Bible this morning. And it's right there. When I, uh, one, one, one morning... I was praying before we even moved over here to Clay County. I was praying in the morning about a certain thing, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and kind of challenged me. I felt like the Lord said to me, if you will do what I've asked you to do, I will do what you've asked me to do. Now, I didn't take that as a blanket 
for every single thing. I just took it for that one thing that I was particularly praying about at that time. I can tell you what it was, but it doesn't matter. I was really praying about, about this issue, and, and I really felt like that's what the Lord spoke to my heart. I've never heard that before quite. Never heard anything like that in my mind or read it that I knew of, and still haven't for that matter. But this, again, this is what the Lord says I'm praying about. If you will do what I want you to do, I will do what you want me to do. Now, that's as close to Malachi chapter 3 as I can tell you. If you will prove God, if I will prove God, I'll do the things that prove God, that put God in the place that he has to do what he said he would do. If I'll do those things, God is going to follow through and keep his word. One morning we were in prayer, and Tuesday morning prayer, and I had, I had thought a few days before I'd started thinking about this thing again, a, a little while of time had passed, because a few years had passed. I was back before we moved over here, as I said, which has been over three years ago. And, but I had started thinking about this very same thing again. I walked into prayer meeting that morning, and Patsy Prince, leading our prayer, said that morning, and I think she commented to me, maybe it was to everybody, but the comment was that I feel like the Lord said, if you will, I will. And so I said, that's just what, that's just in line with what I feel like the Lord was speaking to me. If you will, I will. It was just a little bit more amplified when the Lord said to me, if you'll do what I want you to do, I will do what you want me to do. Now, you can take that as far as you choose to take it. I'm just going to leave it in your lap. You can do whatever you want to do with it. But this is what I decided I'd do when it got refreshed to me. And I grant you the first time I believe I heard that from the Lord was about a certain thing. I decided I was going to look at it this way. This is what God is saying. This is what God is saying in Malachi chapter 3. He is saying to me, to you if you want to read it, hear it, and believe it. He's saying to me, if you will do what I want you to do. And he tells me what he wants me to do. If you will do what I want you to do. He wants me to obey him. Give up sacrificially whatever is necessary, time, money, whatever it is. Give it up sacrificially. If I will do what he wants me to do, that's my part. And his part is, he said, I, you can prove me and I will do what I say I will do. I'll pour out blessings you can't contain. I'll give you more than your ability to hold. I'll give you beyond what you could imagine. I'll destroy the devourer in your field. I'll make sure your crops come in and your prosperity is complete. I'm going to pour out my blessings on you and you won't know when to hold them and when to stop because it's just going to keep on coming. So, we've referred to that kind of thing that, that very time a couple of other times when that happened that Tuesday morning. This is what F.B. Meyer said. F.B. Meyer, one of the greatest teachers on prayer and dedication and complete commitment and consecration that I know of. A few great writers from the past, and he's one of them. He said, we never test the resources of God until we attempt the impossible. If you want to find out just how great God is, just how powerful He is, just how much He can do, attempt the impossible in the will of God. 
attempt the impossible in the will of God and see what God will do. We don't know how much God can do until we, until we pray and pray to the end of the victory. We don't know how much God can do until we commit to give up everything, to give ourselves up, to give all, to give in every way, to give ourselves up in obedience to Him. And when we do that, and we've got a goal that may seem impossible, the resources of God kick in, and God's resources are greater than anything that we can desire or ask for or want. His resources are beyond all of that. He has the ability and the resources to meet our every expectation and to show us the fulfillment of the impossible. But the Bible says nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with Him. So, so this matter of proving God is an ongoing process. It isn't a one-time. It's an ongoing process. You're going to have to, you're going to think about some things God's going to ask you to change, some things God's going to ask you to do, some things He's going to ask you to stop doing. He may not demand it. It may seem like not seem like a command to you, but it is a promise. If you will do what I'm leading you to do, you will prove me to receive the great blessings that I have ready to pour out on you. That's that's the message of the Lord. So Jesus taught this very thing when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over shall men give into your bosom. God will give you favor with mankind to receive the blessings that He wants to give you. But He starts out with the, He starts out with the prove me. Here's the prove me. Give. God could have said, "I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you so much. I'm going to fill up your baskets and." The, Press down, shaking together till we put everything in them that we can. I'm going to pour it until it's overflow, and then you can give to me. He didn't say it that way. He'll never say it that way. Sometimes I wish God would deal with me in a different way. I get so disturbed sometimes with things I, I feel like God's telling me to do. I, sometimes I say, that can't be you, Lord. Most times it turns out it is. Can't be you, Lord. I talk about, you know, I go to God and talk about how much I want so much more power. And God never says, well, just step right here. Just keep sitting right here, son, and I'm going to make you a dynamo that people will talk about around the world. He never does it. I start talking about God giving me more power. He talks to me about more purity. <laughs> he talks to me about getting closer to Him. He talks to me about getting, living more sanctified, living consecration. And I think, well, why don't you give me the power to do that first, Lord? He wants to test us like we test Him. But here's the benefit of it. We might fail somewhere in the test. God will forgive us if we do. We might fail somewhere in the test. But the one who's in this with us will never fail. He'll never fail. He'll always beat the test, and He'll always keep His word. Hallelujah. This is what Paul taught in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That would be a good chapter to go read. Write it down. 
after you listen to this message again on the internet, go read Straight to Wisdom chapter 9. If you listen to it, you'll hear me telling you two times, now and on the internet. In chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul said, and I, and I, I put it succinctly, he said, those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. If you give little, you get little. That's what he said. I know you. If, if Pastor Bill said this, you might really question it. But Paul said it first. You find it in Second Corinthians. I'm telling you again. Second Corinthians, chapter nine. Don't go to First Corinthians and say, "Oh, it's not in chapter nine. The pastor misled me." Second uh, Corinthians, two Corinthians, chapter nine. If you sow sparingly, that's just exactly the way you will reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, he said, you got a choice. You can go sparingly or you can go bountifully. But if you sow bountifully, he said, then you will reap bountifully. The more you sow, the more you reap. The more you plant for the harvest, the greater the harvest is going to be. And when that harvest is coming, because you're proving God who is faithful, the enemy, devourer, will never be able to destroy that crop and keeping that bounty from coming in because that's in the hand of God. He's going to destroy the destroyer and kick out the devourer and give you the full prosperity of his blessings and his promises that his word says he will. Because God will never fail to keep his word. I'm going to give you just a few things about that. I love this so much about God. Our faithful, everlastingly true, never failing God. Who is not a man that he should lie. This eternal God will never say anything to us but truth. And his word tells us what that truth is. So the Bible says he keeps his word. Psalm 138, verse 2. In the King James it says, you have mag- Thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. His word and his name. English Standard says, You have exalted above all things your name and your word. Amplified Version says, You have magnified your word together with your name. In other words, God's word is as holy, as sacred, as eternal as his name. And God's name would be besmirched and defiled if he ever failed to keep his word. But he never has failed to keep his word, and he never will. The Bible also says, Luke chapter 1, verse 37, no word from God will ever fail. No word spoken by God will ever fail. For the word of God, another version says, the word of God will never fail. I'm going to tell you this. I was debating whether to do it or not, but I'm going to close by telling you this. To talk about God keeping his word. Years and years ago, I was in a pastor in a little church, and God was blessing us. He, he was blessing us so much. I don't know why I couldn't sell it in my heart that that's where I wanted to stay and continue because I, there's a church that started out by like this one did, with no, with no people and, and uh, meeting on the sixth floor of a bank building in Coral Springs, Florida. Had to go up six floors to get to the little bank auditorium where they let us meet for free, and we had about 20, 25 people there. And it started to grow and started to grow, and we had to move out, and we got a shopping center and 
cleared out one part of the shopping center, put in a little chapel that we could seat up to about 250 people and just put the chairs in there as we needed them and then we started continuing to grow. But I was dissatisfied in my heart. I felt like God wanted me in a TV ministry. I had been in a TV ministry, and I felt like God wanted me back to that. Well, I, one day I need to tell you about a tenth of the story of that and show you just how faithful God can be when we get to a place that we wish we weren't don't want to be, but God's faithful anyway. So, so I'm praying about this, and and I and I and I and it just seemed like I get get no movement from God. I wasn't praying a whole lot about the church, but the church kept growing. I was praying about getting released released from it, so I could go into this TV ministry where I had the ability to build a TV station in North Carolina. And so I kept I kept praying that. So I decided I was going to fast and see God. I fasted for 30 days. I went on a 30 day fast. And after that, I, I still didn't feel like I had anything, except I lost some weight. <laughs> I was, uh, so I didn't feel like I'd gained anything spiritually. But I'm still praying and seeking God. And so one day, I pick up a Bible that we still have. I picked it up this morning. It's a Bible we've had for years and years, a big old white Bible called a family Bible. It's the King James Version. I never read out of that book back then. I had my own Bible like I do today. The only time I ever picked that white Bible up now is to look up this verse I just told you about because I wrote the date down beside that verse back when it happened in that Bible that we still have. And so I'm agonizing with God what is going to happen, Lord God. I just I feel like you've promised me, Lord, but I can't get anywhere with the promises. I feel like the promises should have already happened, should have already come to pass. What's going on, Lord? I'm reading out of that Bible, and I'm kind of reading through the Psalms. You know, this is not the way to read the Bible. This kind of passing through reading, looking at highlights is not the way to read it. But I just had that Bible on my lap for some reason. I was reading through it, and I passed by a verse, and I got several pages on it. And I thought, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, what was that that verse said? Man, I should have written that down. But by that time, I had closed the Bible and laid it aside. And all I know is in Psalms, there are 150 of them. I had no idea where I was reading. I don't know how in the world I couldn't go. I'd like to go back, and I think that was the Lord was saying something to me that I missed. But I'll never find that again. So I picked up that big old white Bible, and I said, Lord, help me find that verse again. Now, please don't use this as your pattern for Bible reading. I'm not recommending it at all. I'm just saying that there are times when God does unusual things and works in unusual ways and speaks to us in ways that we can understand. So God, as I picked up that Bible, I said, let me find that verse again. I opened the Bible. Now, it wasn't because I had already preached it and pulled it. I would already slammed it, closed it shut. And normally, I would have known anything from Psalm 23 to Psalm 150, where to find this. But I opened up the Bible, and my eyes fell on one verse, that very same verse that I had read. And I knew that was the very same verse. And this is what it said. I'm talking to God now about being faithful and keeping His Word, being true to what He said. I know you've spoken to me. I know you've called me, Lord. I fasted 30 days. Am I going to ever hear from you about this thing? What are you going to say to me about it? And I opened up and I found it again. This is what He said. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. I will not break my word with you. I will keep my covenant with you. I will not change one single thing that I have said to you. If I have spoken it to you, I will do it. Now, he didn't say when, but he said he would do it. 
I took that verse. It's Psalm 89, 34. If you want to find it sometime, Psalm 89, 34. And I took that verse and I went to our little church. Actually, went all that little bit our church. And on the side of the wall, it didn't have glass windows, you can imagine. It was in a shopping center. On the side of the wall, I got a sign painter to come in there and put that verse. Psalm 89, 34. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word or the thing that has gone out of my lips. And I held on to that and held on to it. Until finally God did open that door. He did break through. And in the, and in the ensuing time, it wasn't a year, but over a period of the next several years, through trials and difficulties and struggles and sickness and illness and challenges, God kept his word and brought me to the end of that time in a greater position than I'd ever been in my life, ever could have expected to be, ever could have even asked God for. It was greater than anything that I ever could have imagined. And I have put that before God again now in this time of proving him. I said to God, and I'm going to keep saying it to him every day, morning and night, God, you have proved to me in the past. You have proved to me your faithfulness. You've proved to me the nature of the God that you are. You've let me see you in your reality and know the fullness of your power. You've let me see the fulfillment of your promises. And God, I want that again in a greater way than ever before. I want to prove you, Lord. I know what you do. I've experienced it. I want it again, Lord. I want to prove you for the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the power of God in our midst that we've ever seen and ever known. And I believe right now, my friends, with all my heart, I believe God is going to do exactly that. He's going to give us that overflowing of his power beyond which we've ever seen before. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. If God said it, he will do it. If God said it to you, he'll do it. If God said it in his word, he said it to you. It's there for you in his word. And his word says, do what I want you to do. Prove me. Step up and do it to prove me. Don't be embarrassed for me. Don't think that you're going to put me on the spot and ask me for more than I can give because you can't ask for more than God will give. You can't believe or expect any more than God will do. If you step up and trust Him and believe Him, you're going to see miracles start to happen in your life and we're going to see miracles we're already seeing. We're already seeing answers to prayer. We're going to see miracles start to happen in this church in a greater, more powerful way than we've ever seen before. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I get started when I get when I get before God like this, you know. I start thinking of all these wonderful things God can do, but I can't think of anything that He can't do. I think of all these wonderful things I'd like to see God do. I can't think of anything he can't do. And I want to tell you today, if you're in that place that you need to prove God in your life, this is the time to start it right here today. Right here today, this is the time to start Lord, I will look at your word and see what your word says, and I will follow your word, and I will prove you. According to the leading of the standard of your word, I will prove you, O God. That's what we have to say. Maybe you're ready to do that today. I know that there are those of us who are. I know I am. I made my decision. I didn't make it this morning or last night. 
made my decision within the last few weeks. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do some things. Well, I'm going to leave it with God. I'm going to come back and report to you, though, sometime in the future. I don't know when. I believe not long. I'm going to come back and report to you some things that I have written down inside of a sealed envelope. I'll put the date on it, and I know you'll trust me not to open it up and go in and change it. I'll put the date on it, today's date. These are the things I'm expecting God to do. And I believe I'm going to see those things start to happen because God is faithful. And when we do what God tells us to do, He will do what we want Him to do. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Everybody stand with me, please. I know I've taken a few extra minutes today, not many though.